Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them and turn to Exodus chapter 20, or if you're using a device, turn it on and find your way to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I'm sure many of you have already asked or been asked the question, how are you? How are you? And what do we usually say as sort of guarded Midwesterners? Uh, Good, you. Good, you. Or if we're feeling maybe especially vulnerable, uh, we'll, we'll maybe answer, good, just busy. Or good, just tired. And the reality is we're all so busy. We all, all of you have so many demands on your life that's hard to keep up with, with work, family, church, your pastors keep asking you to do more, to, to stay ahead uh, in your bank account. And so a lot of us end up feeling behind. We feel maybe behind in our career, behind in our family life, behind in our marriage or lack of marriage, behind in our faith, behind in our bank account. Anybody else? Uh, Or even behind in our yard work. Those darn leaves, I mean, just won't go away. Like I raked part of the front yard, but that's about as far as I got. And I was sore after that. Um, But we, we constantly are trying to keep up. And we're always, you know, comparing ourselves to those around us. Where maybe half a century ago, you know, we'd kind of try to keep up with the Joneses because they lived literally next door, so we saw their house. But now fast forward to life now, and we're following everybody in our social feeds, and we're not just trying to keep up with the Joneses, we're keeping up with the Kardashians and everybody else who curates this perfect life, who has it all together. And so we see all these other lives that are so successful, and we're just trying to keep up. So we burden ourselves with more, more, and more. More work, more activity, more money, hopefully, more stuff. And the more is just always out of reach for most of us. We keep falling for that dang carrot on the stick. So constant busyness, stress, hurry, and overworking have become so normalized and even celebrated in our world. And even in a lot of our churches, right? Because there's always more people to reach, more programs to do, more Bible studies, there's always more. But is this the life that God had in mind for us? And so with that, we turn and look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. A few years ago, uh, we were living in Montana, and one of my passions is hunting. And so I was going bow hunting for elk in Montana. And I invited my wife because for my birthday, she had given me like a, you know, like a makeshift gift card, like one free pass to take me elk hunting. And right, so it's like every man's dream, you know, you like, you want your spouse to come with you and enjoy the things uh, that you're into. And so 
I'm into elk hunting, so that's what we were going to do. So we were driving oh, you know, away from town, maybe an hour from town, and start to turn off, as we're turning off the highway, I hear this serious knocking coming from my engine. Now, I don't know, you know too much about cars and stuff, uh, but I could tell that's probably not good. Like a serious knocking coming from under the hood. And Taylor, my wife, rightfully asks, what is that? That doesn't sound good. And me, my response was, I don't know, but we're almost there. So let's just keep going. And so I pushed on, you know, it's just the trailhead was maybe two or three more miles down this, these forest service roads. And we went, uh, you know, we parked and then went and hunted and then came back and nice. The next morning, uh, uh, the next morning we go to turn on my uh, Ford Exploder, Explorer, and uh, nothing. It won't even turn over. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't want to take the time to address the issue, right? So I said, in my mind, if I ignore it, it'll probably just go away. Well, that next morning, I had to make an embarrassing phone call to get picked up by a friend who had to drive way in the middle of nowhere to come and get us. Then worse than that, I had to call a tow truck and try to explain to him like where this random road was to, to get my car to bring it back to town. But I wasn't willing to address the issues. I wasn't willing to face reality. And in the same way, we often in our life get these, these signals that something's maybe a little off, or maybe we get these check engine lights in our life where we convince ourselves that's nothing, that nothing is wrong. Let's just keep going, it'll probably go away. So we never stop and face reality. And today, I want to force us to stop, look under the hood, and ask, how is your soul? How is your soul? I don't know how you entered this place. I don't know the burdens you're carrying, but I want to ask, how is your soul? Because the offer of Christianity, according to Jesus, is this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many of us would say we're experiencing that rest? How many of us would actually relate more to being weary and burdened, exhausted, joyless, too busy. You know, Americans have uh, literally been declared to be in an epidemic of sleep deprivation. We treat ourselves like a machine, not a soul. Jesus offers us a life of soul-level rest, but many of us are simply too busy and too overworked to enjoy that rest. How did we get here? Well, it's Interesting, in um, 1879, the world tra- changed forever with a new patent. Does anybody uh, remember this one off the top of their heads? 1879, what was invented? The electric light bulb. The Edison Electric Company invented a replacement to gaslight in, in both homes and factories. And so for the first time, work was not limited by any sort of natural rhythms of sunrise and sunset. You could you know, have an electric light going on 24-7. And so this started a world that never 
sleeps. And Edison himself, uh, he actually believed sleep was a waste of time. In 1914, he said, quote, there is really no reason why men should go to bed at all. Or as we say nowadays, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Fast forward to uh, June 29th, 2007. Anybody remember what happened then? The first godforsaken iPhone was released. And so while we had a, you know, light bulbs already, many still had some sort of maybe healthy boundaries or distance from work where maybe we'd go to work in the factory or the office, but maybe we could come home, or maybe if we, you know, we worked from home, there's still some sort of turning off at the end of the day. But now, all of us carry work around in our pockets. And if not actual work that you get paid for, at least constant scrolling, busyness, comparison, checking, email... So we just don't know when to stop. Just a little bit more, we say over and over again. So we've replaced spirituality for productivity, where we are actually enslaved to work. We're enslaved to the need for more, to validation, to hurry, to busyness. And to this, Jesus asks, Matthew 16, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Right? Because many of us, you know, maybe we do realize there's a problem and so we plan a vacation. And then we come back and what do we always say? Oh, how's your vacation? Good, but now I need a vacation from my vacation. Right? And we laugh about it like it's normal because it is normal. But how many of us are just simply getting by? Maybe many of us are stressed out, maxed out, constantly feel behind, and so in turn, we're kind of short with those closest to us who we claim to love most. Are you burnt out, joyless? Do you have this kind of constant, low-grade tiredness that never seems to go away? Is this the abundant life God has offered us? Or is They're a better way. Jen Wilkin writes this. She says, Though Edison's Let There Be Light may have ushered us into sleeplessness, the divine creator who uttered Let There Be Light also benevolently and pointedly declares Let There Be Rest. So as we turn back to Exodus chapter 20, this is one of the Ten Commandments, which I'm, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with. And this uh, commandment, though, is by far the longest of the Ten, at least according to this account. But it's also the one we take the most pride in not following, right? Because if I break, you know, a different one, if I murder somebody, I'm probably not going to brag about it, okay? Or if I get murdered, I'll probably be fired. Or if I murder somebody, I'll probably be fired. But if I don't keep the Sabbath, I might get rewarded. Right? I might get a promotion. Associate to the lead pastor. Has a nice ring to it. So, there is debate about how exactly we should practice the Sabbath today. Okay? And I'm not... uh, 
here to try to solve that for you. No, there's different understandings. Is this, do we need a literal 24-hour day like the Israelites? Or is this something fulfilled in Christ and so now we find it in Him? I don't know. And I'm not here to solve that. I don't want to try to draw clean lines and, and more rules for you guys, but I want to get to this principle. The beautiful invitation that God offers His people soul-level rest. He extends an invitation to a life of delight, joy, and rest for a weary people. So let's not just ask what we must do, but let's simply look at the beauty of God's invitation. Verse 8 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word Sabbath uh, is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which simply just means to stop or to cease. And for many of us, that's the whole sermon. That's all we needed to hear, to stop, just stop, cease. The call to stop is revolutionary for some of us today, where we literally just cannot quit. We're addicted to these things of of hurry or work or consumerism, whatever, to do more. And God says, stop. Let yourself stop. Verse 9, you are to labor six days and do all your work. So this command by God is not a call to laziness. Not at all. Right? Some people may need to hear this verse that says, you are to labor. You are to labor. But I, as I was studying this and thinking about this and thinking about our community, I don't think most of us struggle with laziness. I think most of us struggle with rest. Right In this area of the Midwest where we're hard workers, some of you are farmers. If you're not farmers, a lot of you uh, who are students are med students. And like I try to get together with a med student. It's like, good luck. I'm like, okay, let's do early. 6 a.m.? No, I can't. 6 to 9, that's my first study block. I'm like, okay, 9.30? No, I can't. I got to get my hour workout in before my next study block, which starts an hour after that. And then I got to do you know, clinicals, whatever. And you guys are so hard working. Or many of us are law students or pre-med or whatever it is. You guys are, we're in a culture that works very, very hard. And that is good. Work is good. You know, if I was doing this message in, I don't know, the Pacific Northwest, it might be a very different message. It might be, uh, you are to labor six days. And they're like, what? You know, and I don't know what people in Portland do for fun, but not work. I can tell you that much. But in uh, verse 10, it says this, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. I think this is the part that most of us need to hear. We, quote, must not do any work. Why is that so hard for us? Why is that so hard? Why can't some of us stop? A few ideas. One, how many of us find our identity and value in what we do? How many of us find our identity and our productivity? Here's a test. When you take a day off and you don't accomplish anything, how do you feel about yourself? 
What's that internal dialogue you have? Or do you only feel value when you produce something and you have something to show for it? Because many of us, right, we take pride in how much we work. We, man, I work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Here's another test. How do you treat and view others who don't work as much as you? Are you constantly looking down on others who don't work as hard as, as you do? What if it's not that everybody else is lazy, but that you just find your identity in your work? It's not that everybody else is lazy, but that you're a workaholic because that's where you find your value in your identity. It's probably not it. Uh, when we work to just avoid criticism or to find our identity, we actually miss the point of work and the opportunity to serve God and serve others through our labors. Okay, it's not about contributing to the greater good or serving others anymore. It's just about serving our own ego. And some of us are so busy doing stuff for God that we actually are missing God. We're so busy doing stuff for God that we miss being with him. And we can't stop. Right? Maybe some of us grew up with parents who only seemed to kind of value us when we excelled at whatever our craft was. Right? You see, it's, if it's sports, then it's when you excel at sports or grades or maybe, you know, getting a good job and career, making a certain amount of money. I just wonder, why is it that for some of us, self-included, the thing we are most afraid of in life is being called lazy? Right? Is that not some of our, like, biggest fears? Like, I'd rather be killed than called lazy because that hurts. That hurts my ego. How many of us are trying to look for a form of salvation through our work where we're trying to find identity? We're trying to earn approval. We're saying, look at me. I'm worth it. I'm a success. Look at all I've done. When God is saying, I see you, I love you, and it has nothing to do with what you have accomplished. God's love is not dependent on your performance. Here's another idea. If it's not an identity issue, maybe it's a trust issue. Where we just do not deep down trust God to provide for us or for our families and to take care of us. Right? I get it. I have a family now. It's a different game. Right? I have two kids and one on the way. There's a serious pressure to take care of your family. And that is, it's good to take care of your family. That's a call to take care and provide. But we might believe the theological truth that God is our provider, right? We would answer that correctly on a test. But our actions and our inability to rest reveals that we don't actually believe that to be true in everyday life. Right? How many of you get like some sort of instant anxiety just thinking about taking a day of rest? Right now in your mind, you're thinking, well, what about this? Who's going to get this done? How are you going to do that? You know, somebody's got to take care of this. And the reality is it does take preparation in order to Sabbath. It does take preparation to rest. That's why the Israelites literally had a designated preparation day. So for some of us that work, you know, five days a week, 
The sixth day might have to be a day of doing household chores, grocery shopping, planning ahead, getting some of those errands done so that we can have a day for our family to rest. The irony is that it takes work to rest. And I wonder if that's maybe the reason a lot of us actually don't rest, because we aren't willing to to do that work and to plan in order to take time for soul-level rest. A third idea is our view of God. I think the life that God offers us is so much better than we are willing to accept. Where we think it's too good to be true. There has to be a catch. Let me ask you this. When is the last time you genuinely had fun? Genuinely just had fun. Are you too old and mature for fun? Because how many of us view God as a slave driver rather than a loving father? Morgan Snyder, who's a counselor and author, says this, Our capacity to play, to laugh, and to simply enjoy being present is directly proportional to what we have come to believe about the heart of God. Guys, the story of the Bible does not start with sin. It starts with a God creating a beautiful world for his creation to enjoy communion with him. And he calls it what? Good. And that's the end of the story that's being redeemed where we see the new heavens and the new earth. And right now we're kind of in this in-between of, of those two realities where we're in this broken world and we can't really see the forest for the trees and we don't believe that that's really what God wants for us. We forget the beauty of the beginning. But really, the more we grow in Christ, the more we should be growing in fun, joy, delight, and rest. Because we know and trust that God is the one in control. He's your provider. So we can stop and rest and stop being so uptight. Christian, you know the creator, provider, and sustainer of the universe. We should be the most joyful, fun, delightful, restful people on the planet because we know him and he knows us. Look, life is serious. The reality of heaven and hell and sin, the cross, all that is very important and consequential. But we can take life seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. Many of us have such a high view of self and a low view of God. The world is far more beautiful and fun than we make it. It's not just this grim, lifeless desert. God's creation is a beautiful playground of his goodness. Creation is an overflow of his love. God offers us a beautiful invitation. I think most of us think it's just too good to be true. C.S. Lewis says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? So many of us are so uncomfortable with the lavishness of what God offers. We think there has to be some catch. Or we think maybe if we accept it, then like, are we, you know, getting too close to the prosperity gospel? Like, aren't I supposed to just be miserable all the time? God offers good gifts. Do you believe that? Matthew 7, he says this, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you believe that God gives you good gifts? That he wants good for you? It doesn't mean there's no suffering. It doesn't mean there's no hardship. Of course not. Read the Bible. But that he has good will towards you. And he knows what you need. I wonder how much more effective we could actually be in our witness to unbelievers if our lives were actually marked by a life of joy, fun, delight, and rest where we aren't enslaved to the things of this world like everybody else is, right? You might have friends that have no interest in Christianity. They may disagree with everything. But if they learn that, oh, your God gives you a day just for fun, delight, joy, rest. I agree. With, I disagree with everything else about Christianity, but that sounds amazing. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? I think many of us, we need to learn again the spiritual disciplines of play and joy and rest. Paul in Galatians 5 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those the characteristics of somebody who is stressed out, burnt out, overcommitted, exhausted, unwilling to rest? No way. This describes a people who know how to rest, that have this calm, non-anxious presence about them. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy. Joy. What kind of God makes joy a fruit of the Spirit? Right? He could have made anything else. But joy? The more we grow in Christ, the more we should be growing in joy. We are unwilling to accept the most beautiful gift from God. Many of us feel the need to refuse. Right? Do you ever do this like in, in real life? You know, somebody offers you something and you actually need it, but you feel 
the need to reject that invitation or that gift. Like, oh, I could never accept this. What is that? Is that Midwest modest thing or is that just our pride? What is that? I'll tell you what, my kids never feel that. They never feel the need to reject a good gift. I'm like, hey, Grayson, you want some ice cream? He's like, yeah, can I have cookies too? I'm like, I, are you kidding me? And then the second half of verse 10 says this, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. Rest actually isn't just for us. Rest isn't individual. How does your lack of rest negatively affect others? If I'm unwilling to rest, how does that affect my family, my spouse, my kids? And a lot of us reject the invitation to rest because, and maybe especially some of us men, we feel like, yeah, but I need to provide. I can't rest. I need to provide. And you do, and that's good. But let me gently offer this. Your family needs more than just your financial provision. Right? A lot of times, some of us feel like that's our greatest good. Like, my only responsibility in life is to provide financially for my family. Right? How many stories have you heard of good, hardworking, honest fathers, but at the same time, they were absent from their kids' childhood? Your greatest good is not just financial provision, although that is very good and important. But your family... Your spouse, your kids, your community needs more than just financial provision. Verse 11, For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. And this echoes Genesis 2, which says this, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. God rested. God rested. Did he need to? No, but he chose to. When we don't rest, what are we really saying? We're saying, I'm more important than God. My role is more integral. I'm more important. Do you ever feel the need to work harder than God? Like, really? I mean, I think he did pretty well for himself. Like, I look around, I mean, South Dakota, you know, but like other places, he did pretty well. Sorry, I got to stop with those jokes. Um, He did pretty well for himself. God created a rhythm of seven days. This was so interesting in my study. Uh, In 1793, there was actually a serious attempt in the French Revolution to change our weeks from seven days to ten-day weeks in order to try to, you know, boost productivity. Guess what the result was? Productivity actually lowered while suicide and mental illness rose. Sabbath rest is actually integrated into the fabric of 
reality, right? You see studies coming out over the last few years that say, oh, you know, a new study shows that if you give your employees a day of rest, it'll actually boost productivity. And you're like, man, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before, like a day off, I had, I don't know, somewhere. Because a lot of what Jesus says and Scripture says, oftentimes it's not just a command, but just an explanation of reality, right? When Jesus says stuff like, oh, you reap what you sow, that's not a command. That's just insight into the way that the world works, into reality, into truth. And a need for rest is a part of that reality. Wayne uh, Muller put it this way. He says, the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity. You ought, you'd better, you'd must, but rather a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. You are not a machine. You are a human being with limits. Why do we try to buck that reality? Imagine this. Imagine you, are, you have a job and you're slaving away at hard physical labor all day, every day. Okay, and then you get a new boss and your boss comes along and says, hey, why don't you uh, take a day off? Why don't you take a break? Would your reaction be, oh my gosh, my boss is so legalistic. Don't try to tell me what to do. Or would you see this as the gracious gift that it is? Why do you reject the gift on offer? Why do you resist the offering that not only you need, but deep down you want? What stops you? Is it what other people think? Is it being called lazy? What are we trying to prove? To practice a life of rest, you probably have to be willing to be criticized. Your identity can't be in your work. Your identity can't be in what you do. Your worth can't be in what you produce. Because the reality is, you might not get that promotion because you actually have a healthy work-life balance. You're not willing to work, grind it out seven days a week. But the people, there are people that are. So you might miss out on an opportunity or a promotion. Or you might be, be seen as weird because you say no to a constant life of busyness for your family. I mean, my, my kids aren't there yet, but gosh, how early do they start having these kids doing like traveling sports like 12 days a week? It's insane. You might be seen as weird because you don't let your kids do everything 24-7. But letting yourself rest from your physical work is appropriating the reality of the gospel in your life, in your everyday life. It's resting in God's grace for you. It is hard to live saved by grace in a performance-based culture. Do you ever think about that? We, are, we live in a time where, in a culture where we're so rewarded and validated when we produce, accomplish, reach a new goal. We're celebrated only when we reach goals. 
And so many of us have a hard time not just resting from our literal work, but resting in the truth of the gospel that you're saved by grace alone. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Man, it dings our pride a little bit. Like, didn't I help a little bit, God? Like, didn't I kind of do a little bit of the heavy lifting? Paul's saying, you didn't accomplish anything. Nothing. It was all God. You did nothing. And yet you're still loved and you're valued through that. Some of us have a hard time with that. So we feel bad. We feel guilty. We can't accept the offer. So we spend the rest of our life just trying to prove to God, like, hey, you know, those other guys, yeah, they didn't help at all, but I was worth it. We try to pay him back for the rest of our lives for something that was simply a gift. So all that to say, how might we actually practice Sabbath rest in our lives? Again, I don't want to try to draw new rules and clean lines for you, but I do want to have a few ideas to share. Sabbath is an invitation to rest, delight, worship, and joy. It's not just a day off. It's not just a day off. It's a day that's holy to God. Set apart is holy. So don't just think of more religious duty. Instead, ask yourself, what would actually bring me life and delight? What would bring me delight in God? If you could plan the best day of your life, what would you do? What would you do? Right? It doesn't have to be 24 hours of some silent meditation. Maybe for you introverts, that sounds amazing. Go and do it. But for some of us, maybe it is planning a fun-filled day with friends. Maybe it could be part of your day just trying to take a walk trying to slow down and just delight in God. Maybe you turn your phone off for a full day. Did you know you can do that? It's not against the law. You're not going to get arrested. Uh, It's a button on the side. You just power it down. It's crazy. Man, I try to do that, and it's amazing how much, I'm not even an anxious person, but it's amazing how much my anxiety lowers. And then I turn it back on, you know, like maybe Saturday night, and I find myself just getting like so irritable. Like, what's going on? I was just having such a great day. And I was like, oh, that dang phone. It is so good to rest from the constant ability to be reached. Maybe you plan a Sabbath feast with your family and friends where you just get around the table and thank God for all that he's provided. Celebrate God. Celebrate each other. Some of us maybe can't, you know, this is brand new territory for us. We can't do a full day. And what if some of us just started with a few hours one day per week, just trying to move into this life of rest that God offers? What is it that helps you delight in God? Is it worship? And I don't don't just mean singing. 
Is it hiking? Is it friends, reading, fishing? Whatever helps you delight in God, go and do it. Give yourself permission to do something that feeds and nourishes your soul. Worship team, you can come back up. Jesus says this in Matthew 2. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It is a gift given to humanity. God didn't create you to fulfill the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath as a gift to you. So as we practice a life free from striving, we are practicing for a life in eternity where we will enter eternal life with perfect work, rest, delight, and joy. God is offering you a beautiful gift. Rest for your weary soul. Do you want it? And will you accept it for what it is? A gift. The only way we can genuinely rest from our work is by resting in his finished work on our behalf. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift that you have given us. God, I pray that you would teach us to enter into rest with you. God, teach us to delight in you. God, that we would be a church that doesn't find our identity in what we do or what we accomplish, but finds our identity in you. In your name we pray. Amen.